Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you today with Rebecca Deo. Rebecca is a chiropractor from Grand Rapids, Michigan. She's also the host of the Better Doctor Project podcast, which is a podcast that's focused on providing healthcare providers with the tools to manage the challenges of their practice today, as well as improve healthcare communication. In this episode, we chat about Rebecca's story and how a healthcare provider touched her life at a very difficult time and vulnerable time in her own healing journey. We also chat about how she became inspired to become a chiropractor from a patient's story. And throughout the podcast, we we simply talk about why it's important to integrate healthcare right now and the, the value of collaborating with other healthcare providers and connecting with our strengths to better serve our patients and their needs. You don't want to miss this episode. It was a great conversation with Rebecca. So grab your drink of choice and join us. Hi, Rebecca. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you're here. I know I was a guest on your show a few months back on the Mm -hmm. Better Doctor Project, which I really enjoyed and appreciated. And it just felt very natural to have a conversation with you. So obviously, it'd be great to have you back, right? (laughs) I felt the same. So thanks for inviting me. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm glad we could do this together and chat more now about you um, instead of myself. So tell me about yourself. Tell us about yourself. I know more about you than our listeners. Yeah, Give us us your backstory. Yeah. So um, the quick background is I'm actually a practicing chiropractor. I have been in practice for five years now. And I come from a long line of chiropractors. Um, There are 10 in my family in total right now who are still practicing. So I I always knew at some point in my life, I would enter the healthcare realm. I just, I loved growing up watching my dad help people and just the way he was able to do that, both as a chiropractor and just in healthcare in general. So growing up 
it really stuck out to me too, the way my dad worked with people. He did a whole lot more than just check off a bunch of boxes as a provider. He truly knew his patients in and out. He, and my dad also has an elephant memory, which came in handy, but he would remember (laughs) everything. I mean, he knew where you worked. He knew what your spouse's name was. He knew what your kids were doing in life. And it was kind of that really nice, comfortable, you know, mom and pop kind of practice that we used to see 20, 30, 40 years ago with primary care and all kinds of other specialties. And he just never let that die. And that's something I truly admired in him. So I I pretty much always knew it would be healthcare related for me. And then I got into college and I went to Iowa State University for my undergrad. And along my pre-med route, I realized that science was truly my strength. Mm -hmm. It was school always was relatively straightforward for me. I love to learn. I would have gone to school for 40 years if I could have. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But then in undergrad, you know, I realized that these courses along my pre-med route were just where I was thriving. And so I sat back for a minute, I think my sophomore or junior year, and I said, should I be opening up to everything instead of chiropractic? You know, am I, am I choosing chiropractic for my dad, my family? Like I kind of had like a, oh crap moment (laughs) where I had to really come to terms with myself. And so I became obsessed with healthcare in general. And I shadowed every kind of provider from an ENT all the way to a nurse. And Mm -hmm. I just, I shadowed everybody and I loved it. And I learned a lot about what I wanted to do in practice and what I didn't and what kinds of things mattered to me as far as choosing a career. And then I received a really, really nice offer from Drake University for their DO program. And in that moment, I'm like, well, this is it. I will become a neurologist. I knew I didn't want to do surgery, but I loved the idea of still being able to work with the spine, doing complex neuro examinations. And to me, it was like, oh, this would be a really great challenge for me. So I was kind of leaning toward that. And then my chiropractor in college called me and said, hey, you've been shadowing all these providers. What about me? Hmm. And I was like, well, yeah, I was like, well, I've been shadowing a lot of people. I've already obviously been to a lot of chiropractic offices. I think I'm good. (laughs) And he would not take no for an answer. And I was probably, oh, 21 at the time around there. And he's like, no, 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 you need to spend some time in my clinic, please. And so I did thinking that I had my mind made up and, uh, I went there and I encountered a patient visit that I'll never, ever forget. There was a 40-something-year-old man in his office who was getting treated for mostly cervical and thoracic issues. But all of a sudden, he just introduced himself to me and he said, you know, you need to become a chiropractor, right? And I was like, why? (laughs) What was it about you that just screamed that? (laughs) He was so blunt with me. He's like, you just have to do it. I'm going to tell you why. He said that he was forced to go to a chiropractor years prior by his family. He had been having incredibly difficult asthma for so, so long. On top of that, he had obviously like difficulty breathing, a lot of congestion, and his upper back and neck were just always rigid. He had minimal, minimal movement. I mean, tons of restriction. But the biggest thing was his quality of life had tanked. Mm -hmm. And he said he had a suicide note written. Mm -hmm. He had everything planned out. And then last minute, one of his friends or a family member was like, just go to my chiropractor, man. Just work on that spine. <laughs> and he said he was fully planning on you know, doing the deed the following week, but he ended up going on that visit because what could it hurt? And he said after one visit, the amount of uh, like increased rotation into his neck for the first time in however many years was enough for him to just 
put his plans the following week on hold. And so he still had everything lined up, but he's like, I'll give this guy a couple weeks. For the first time in years, he had full cervical rotation. Quality of life started to shoot up. He felt like he was getting his life back. Instead of using his inhaler daily, it dropped in frequency substantially. And it just transformed his life to the point where he no longer felt the need to end it. And his story had me shook. I mean, I... I was a mess. And, you know, as much as I, to this day, love all fields of healthcare, I, there is such a purpose in every single specialty and field. In that moment, I knew that I wanted to be that provider. Mm -hmm. And with my personality type as an empath, like a deep, deep empath, I knew that I wanted to be the provider that people woke up and were excited to go to. And as much as I love neurology, I knew that it wouldn't satisfy that personality trait in me because generally if you're getting referred to neuro, it's not going to be the greatest situation all of the time. Mm-hmm. And as much as I love working with those complex cases and working in, you know, hand in hand with neurologists, I think it was the best decision for me. I ended up being in a field and, you know, in physio, you, you, you feel the same way yeah. where your patients are just so happy to work with you especially after that first visit, because that's the hardest one. Right. But I I feel like I chose a field where I'm continually feeling rewarded and I can just, I can really be challenged in a way that I grow as a person and a provider. And I'm just so happy that that man entered my life that day. And so that's how chiropractic found me. (laughs) Wow, exactly. It found you. I mean, I mean, I really appreciate how you thoroughly try to assess from the inside, like what it was you really wanted, because, you know, you come from a family of chiropractors, right? Like, you know, so I I get what you're saying there about whether you're just kind of doing what everybody else is doing, or are you following your own path and listening to your own true self during that time? So I can appreciate that. And, you know, and what better than a patient's story to inspire you as well? Oh, a hundred percent. I will never, never forget that man. That's for sure. (laughs) Wow. That's really cool. I love that. So you've been practicing now for five years. Yeah. So, um, I ended up doing a lot of my training through as a student at a VA medical hospital in Martinsburg, West Virginia. And that, that direction really shaped who the the provider that I am today. Um, it, It just transformed my life because I feel like at such an early point in practice, I was exposed to so much more within my field that's where I learned my appreciation for all providers of all specialties. And I worked, it was obviously a teaching hospital, but it was a very good one. There's a saying in the VA system that once you've been to one VA, you've been to one VA because (laughs) because they're all so different. Different, And I was really blessed and fortunate that I went to one where all of the departments were very cohesive. I was working with PTs, surgeons, um, literally everybody all day long. And we all learned from each other, you know, like an orthopedic specialist would call our department and say, Hey, I have a resident who has no idea how to do a low back exam. Do you want to teach him? And I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. Can he teach me X, Y, Z? And it was just this complete back and forth, you know, just constant, constantly trying to improve ourselves. And that's when I became obsessed with working cohesively with other providers. And that led obviously to the birth of my podcast, Better Doctor Project, mm-hmm. where we do exactly that. You know, we're, we're discussing uh, and learning from each other so we can be better for our patients. So I was out there and I loved it. I thought I would be on the East Coast for a very long time. And <laughs> then a Michigan man decided to convince me to marry him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So I I dropped all my plans, which was so unlike me at the time. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I, I tend to be very 
straight and narrow. And I always have a plan and I just (laughs) dropped everything for him. And I moved to Michigan. So I've been here for five years. I transitioned into private practice and I love it. I mean, West Michigan is a beautiful place and private practice was a, a good thing for me to get experience in. So I had been an associate doc for the last I guess five full years and I'm opening up my own practice at the end of this year. So wow, very excited. That's so exciting. That must yeah. be a big that must be a big shift, eh? Going from oh. you know, an interdisciplinary, interprofessional VA clinic to now where you're at now. Yeah. I mean, I, a huge shift. And I think mm-hmm. everything serves a purpose. And specifically in my city, there's not a lot of integration between any fields. There's not a lot of communication. Um, we have two major, major hospital systems here and the referrals are about as dry as you can imagine. And you you get referred to someone because it just works in the computer system. And patients are really struggling with uh, finding providers that align with their their goals and the kinds of providers that they gel with. And they, they just feel like, you know, just another number in our city when it comes to their overall healthcare. So I'm really looking forward to having my own private practice and working with like minded professionals and just creating an environment for patients where they can thrive with their health. And that's, that's really my biggest goal with it. Right. And you're in Grand Rapids. Yes. That, yeah. Cause I'm in yeah. Windsor, Ontario, a eh? just across the border yes. from you. So yeah. So welcome <laughs> to this side. <laughs> um, I, I was wondering, I was actually, when you were ch- like talking there, I was wondering about the coordination of other services. If you find it in, you know, collaborative, uh, you know, being in private practice, first of all, but then also being in the area you're in. So I just didn't know if um, it's yeah. bad. It's really bad. I mean, different. I'll get new patients and nine times out of 10, they've been to like 17 different providers and nothing is cohesive. You know, they have 17 different diagnoses and <laughs> like, yeah. it's just, it's, and, and they're confused and their primary care isn't following up with specialists and like, no one is talking. They just yeah. kind of get sent place by place by place. They check their, my chart online to learn what the next step is. And I feel like patients just feel lost and I understand why we can't go back to the old days and see, you know, nine people a day for an hour each. Like, I totally understand that, Mm -hmm. but I think there is a middle ground. And I know you understand this too, because your podcast is all about patient communication and being an efficient, but successful provider. And Mm -hmm. there is a way to do that. And it's not terribly difficult. You just have to make sure your priorities are are set straight. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm starting to see now, especially within different fields, there are providers in my city who are looking to accomplish the same thing. They just, they need to solidify their network. You know, I'm finally finding the primary care docs who are willing. I'm finally finding the physical therapists who have all the same goals that I do. And it's, it's really cool to all get together and realize that we can do so much when we work together. Yeah, I love that integrative approach. And I and I think we have to expand our mindset beyond just our own establishment, like our own literal clinic spaces, yes. right? And, and beyond yeah. our own walls and um, start thinking from the lens of the patient and their ability to coordinate and access and how we can help them through that as well. So they also have a portal then that they... Is is that what their portals yeah, called? You mentioned the, the two the two hospital systems have they each have their own unique portal that you can log into. Mm-hmm. And so, like, let's say you went um, for back pain, and your primary care doc knew you needed some physical therapy. They're not going to assess you as a person, unfortunately, and determine what kind of physical therapist would be best for you, mm-hmm. given your medical history, your 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 goals, things like that. They just immediately are like, oh, you need PT 
click button, boom, it like just shifts you right on over in the electronic system to whoever has an opening within their hospital system. And that's it. And a lot of the hospital PT systems here do a lot of like group therapy, which is okay for some, but just not everybody. And I, I think what's hard for me is, for example, when I refer to physical therapy or anything, really, I'm thinking, okay, I know this patient. What kind of provider do they like? Do they like someone who is short, keeping it simple and sweet to the point and blunt? Mm-hmm. Or do they like someone that likes to take their time a little bit more? Do they like someone that is more communicative? Because there are pros and cons to both aspects. Mm-hmm. There are some patients who want one versus the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, you know, what's the patient like? What does their me- medical history tell me? If I have a 21-year-old bodybuilder who's looking for a physical therapist, I'm probably going to send him to somebody else than my other physical therapist who specializes in geriatric care. Right. Right. Yeah. So, and it really takes 25 extra seconds of our lives as providers to just think about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's putting the, it's putting the needs of the, of our patients first. And yes. like, and by knowing our patients, like you said, absolutely. We can coordinate things with them and help them navigate more efficiently to save them <laughs> the headache uh, as well. And um, money, money. <laughs> yeah. Especially in the, yeah. Especially in the, the U S healthcare system. It's I like, was just about to say, you guys probably don't even know what that means. I, I think um, I think it's different for sure, but we yeah. do we do have third party insurance and people do pay privately here. But yeah, you definitely hear about it more in the states. Um, we also have Ontario health insurance for for people who don't have private insurance, but that's also limited. And there's mm-hmm. pros and cons to the public sector as well, hundred percent in terms of accessibility and navigation and coordination. But similarly, like your system where you're at now sounds a bit fragmented to say the least. Um, so hopefully having you there though, you know, I think is, is a huge asset and I know that's my goal. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, just, I, I think it's fitting and I, I, I think it's, I think you're up to that challenge. I think you can do Thanks. it. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's fun. <laughs> I, I love being challenged, but it, it means so much more when you find a challenge that's going to reward you in the same, at the yeah. same time, you know, like all of us are here, you know, serving a purpose. And if we can just make one one person's life better each day, we're, we're doing pretty well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So speaking of that, I know that you have a personal story too, in which a provider, care provider made a difference in your life. And I, I was really intrigued by that. So I wanted to learn more about that about you. Yeah, so it, it's a big story. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, let's see, I'm 30 years old now. When I was... I think 23 or 24, I was in a really bad car accident, what should have been fatal. Mm. I was driving back to grad school after a little interim break that we had in between trimesters. And I had been traveling, you know, two days before that. I was just really exhausted. I had tons of luggage in my car. And for some reason, I thought it would be a good idea to leave my parents' house at like 9:30 at night to drive a three and a half hour drive. Mm. And, you know, I had done that drive so many times, you would have thought I could have done it in my sleep, literally. (laughs) And um, I I just I never thought in a million years that driving tired was something that would affect me. And 30 minutes into my drive, I fell asleep behind the wheel and crashed into a tree. Oh, my God. Um, They don't know for sure how fast I was going. But based on the country road, probably around 60 miles an hour maybe slightly over that. And, you know, these were roads I had driven my whole life. And um, all I remember is waking up to the initial descent into the ditch and just seeing dirt everywhere. I mean, I couldn't see through my windshield. 
I didn't know what was going on. So all I remember is taking both of my feet, slamming the gas and the brake at the same time. Wow. <laughs> and um, that's it. I don't remember hitting. I don't remember anything. And I, I thank God every day for that. I think there's a blessing to have certain memories completely removed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're not entirely sure sure on some of the details. I was unconscious, but we're not exactly sure for how long. The ditch was a in an area that had like elevated high grass near a farm, like near a field. Mm -hmm. It completely covered my tiny Chevy Aveo, like my little Mm -hmm. tiny hatchback car. So no one could find my car. The craziest part of the story was once I woke up, I somehow was able to use my iPhone, which was sitting in the passenger seat and I was stuck in the driver's seat. I was able to use Siri to call my parents. Wow. And that's something, I mean... I think about this all the time because Apple and Siri essentially saved my life. And to this day, we have no idea how it worked because my phone was completely shattered. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like it was not functional afterward. So I somehow called my parents. My dad said it was the worst phone call of his life. You couldn't even make out a single word that I said because they say my blood pressure was like 240 over like a hundred and something ridiculous. I was in complete delirium. You know, I had no idea what was going on. I was screaming and blood was like falling from my face onto my phone. And I'm I'm just, my dad said I was saying real English words, but just in no context whatsoever, like not even complete sentences. And, um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, instantly, thank goodness my dad is in the field that he is, you know, I feel like we know right then and there, like, Oh, probably an accident, like definitely delirium. Um, So thankfully, my family was very well versed in those country roads. They set out looking for me after calling 911. And they think the cops went by at least seven times. No one could find me. And um, it was actually my brother that found me which is crazy. And, um, so they got me out of the car. I was, I wasn't able to put weight on my legs and they weren't hundred percent sure why. So they didn't really want to mess with me too much. Mm-hmm. Finally, the paramedics came and got me. I don't remember much in between that, but I woke up in the hospital and I, I mean, they, they just didn't know what was going on. You know, they, mm-hmm. they did what they had to do initially. We had a full body CT to rule out anything serious we thought for sure my pelvis and legs were fractured because I, I literally couldn't put weight on my legs. Ironically enough, and this is again, just the grace of God, no fractures. They said if I would have been 10 pounds heavier, I would have died instantly from internal bleeding. And 10 pounds as a female, I mean, I can do that in a weekend. So right. yeah, I hear you. I hear you. It's <laughs> yeah, not so much. When you, they told me that, that was pretty that's scary. scary. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So um, I was only in the hospital for a day and That was by far some of the scariest times of my life because I had been a relatively healthy person. I had never really had any health conditions or issues. And that was my first exposure to critical care, especially um, in just trauma care. Mm -hmm. And there was a nurse there that night. And I will never forget him. I wish I knew his name. I, I wish I knew how to get a hold of him. But he was just this jolly, jolly fellow. I mean, he must have been... He must have been in his 20s as well, probably late 20s. And I was in my early 20s. He was super sweet. And the reason why he stuck out to me is because he's the only person that didn't show me fear. You know, Mm -hmm. everybody else that was doing running my tests and evaluating me, I could see fear on their faces. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I didn't feel any sense of additional comfort. There was a lot of unknowns, you know, especially when you're still in a state of shock, like 
it's it's really good to have someone bring you back to a level ground. And he was the only one that did that for me. You wow. know, of of course my family was worried, so I wasn't expecting that from them, but he was, I mean, he was cracking jokes with me, talking to me like I was just a super normal individual and helping me with anything I needed and talking to me about things outside of the accident. And I'll never forget him. He probably is why I had such a positive attitude during those initial days, I think. I, I credit him fully. So if if you're listening to this and you worked at the Beloit Memorial Hospital <laughs> in Beloit, Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, you never know. You, you truly well, never you know. if you know someone who does. <laughs> yeah, you truly never know. And I just, I wish I could, I, I wish I could thank him because he helped me just so much. So, wow. yeah, so that happened. And then um, I was released still with a lot of uncertainty. You know, we knew that there was no internal bleeding, no fractures. The next step was just recovery. So, mm-hmm. you know, PTOT, obviously chiropractic and a whole lot of life changes for a while. Um, I was able to not drop out of school, which was huge. And I will forever credit my school for getting me through such a difficult time. I was able to do a lot online and kind of pick and choose what classes to go to. Thankfully, it couldn't have happened at a better time in my curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't thankfully in much clinical work. It was mostly my didactic training. So gotcha. that was helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Timing <laughs> um, there. Very lucky. Yeah. Otherwise I would for sure have had to pull out and yeah, th- yeah that whole event just transformed my life. And as a, as a practitioner now, it has changed the way I treat patients mm-hmm. because prior to that, I never really knew what pain was. I had never had a headache before. I mean, any kind of injury or issue I had, you know, I had chiropractors in my family. I had people who knew how to do physio and I was always cared for in the world of pain. Mm-hmm. So when this happened, it was a whole new world. Yeah. And I'll never forget one of my favorite professors, Dr. Michelle Barber, she pulled me aside and she said, you are going to be that much better for your patients someday because you've actually experienced their pain now. Mm-hmm. And I will never forget that because I can imagine it would be hard to work with pain all day if you truly don't understand, if you don't have some kind of connection to what they're going through. And now I can resonate with them. I can understand the darkness that comes with chronic pain because I was not well for mm-hmm. a long time. I mean, I, I I would say at least eight to 10 months before I felt like myself again. And those were the darkest eight to 10 months of my life. Yeah, I, yeah. I definitely dealt with depression at that time and a sense of confusion as to what was to come. I, it sounds silly, but I would look up car accidents and just almost compare every single one. Like, oh, why did this person survive this? But this one didn't. Or how come his accident was so much um, smaller than mine, but he passed and I lived. I, I became obsessed with trying to understand what had happened to me. And if it wasn't for all of the support and great colleagues that I had and family, I I just, I don't know how I would have gotten through that. And I know without a doubt that it has made me a better provider because because of everything I went through. Yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, you, you mentioned at the beginning, like you're strongly empathetic and you know that about yourself. And I think that is also through the, um, the pains you've experienced and the difficulties you've been through. So are you, so this was a few years ago now, the early twenties. So, yeah. So are you fully recovered or do you still have some? Yeah. um, So I have, so I have a couple scars still, um, most went away, but there's one on my face and then some more around my, my left hip that they had thought was shattered. As far as function, I mean, I don't have chronic pain, thank goodness. 
it makes me wish everyone could learn the neuroscience of chronic pain because I also think that that is just so helpful when you're going through it yourself. So to learn that as a student and then go through what I went through, I mean, it was like a double whammy of just luck. <laughs> yeah, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so thankfully, I do pretty well with that. Um, I get, you know, flare ups here and there of some upper rib trauma and my left hip trauma, but I'm thankful able to rehab uh, really well or get adjusted for, which has been life saving. I think the biggest thing I had to learn was to to be strong on my left hip and my left hamstring again. I had a long-term weak left hamstring um, and my left hip just could never hang with the rest of my body. (laughs) (laughs) So um, rehab truly saved my life. You know, pain pain control is one thing, but I, I had to strengthen that area. And I tell my patients this too, you know, once you've had either a traumatic incident or, you know, everyone has some part of their body that just is either weaker or struggles compared to other areas, it's so important to recognize that and stick with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, even though like my pain is fine now, if I would just ignore my left hip and never train it, I'm going to end up having chronic issues down the road. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was going to say that's one of the, the biggest challenges I find um, when chatting and conversing with patients about pain management. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes there's um, a, like there's something people you know, soon there's something wrong when you have pain, right? So like you said, that whole neurology around it, and sometimes it really is related to just a weakness. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a big shift for some people to, um, to wrap their heads around in terms Mm -hmm. of, you know, how does that actually happen? But like you said, when things are just kind of not working cohesively together, or just functionally that way, you know, chances are you will have pain and, um, Mm -hmm. and and that it's okay to have pain. Like that's our body's response to something, just not feeling safe within our system and not working optimally. And, you know, it's okay to address that. So yeah, the conversation around that lately, I've been having quite a bit, especially with people who've had some significant weakness in certain areas that I've noticed, um, have been dealing with quite a bit of pain, but yeah, usually we think of it related to trauma only, right. Or injury. Or, you know, hypersensitivity, but sometimes it really is just a weakness that's there. Well, I think it'd be silly if our bodies didn't go through that. And I I sit, I sit down my patients a lot as well. And I I let them know, like, you're not alone. I, and one of my favorite analogies is I tell them, like, you can walk outside right now, pick Mm -hmm. out 100 random people, put them in an ortho PT chiro clinic in a good examiner can find some kind of weakness, some kind of issue, lack of range of motion, restriction, even pain that they didn't even know they had until you take them through a series of tests or some kind of functional movement pattern that they just can't do. Regardless of their symptoms, we're going to find something in probably all 100 patients. And they're like, they're like, what? <laughs> Are you yeah. kidding? Are you kidding me? We can and, find something. Just... <laughs> oh, 100%. And you know, yeah. the whole debate on, you know, whether there is symptoms or not with the biomechanical dysfunction, that's a whole nother topic. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, exactly. it, it's interesting that that make that should make us realize it's normal for things to happen. And, you know, I, I'll always be hyper aware of my left hip, but mm-hmm. I, when I'm in control of it and I am working on it regularly in the gym, I, there's no problems. And I just yeah. feel very fortunate about that. And I do love sharing that story with patients because it really helps them realize, okay, I didn't do anything wrong. My, my body is strong. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's capable. Um, yes. and, and I think too, like 
time, right? Mm-hmm. Time does, you know, it does take time for some to just recover and for, for movement to be restored and to feel more like, kind of like you said, like yourself again, I think is one of the yeah. biggest things that people are really saying is that they just don't feel like things, they, they don't feel like themselves overall, whether it's related yeah. to pain or, you know, other, other things going on. So just kind of empowering that process, I think, like you kind of said, to be um, like, as you did for your body, to be more aware of your left side and to work it and work with it. <laughs> and I think it's important to take care of our bodies and and speak to ourselves well that way and positively, right? Because uh, I've also had um, patients too with chronic weakness, things like that. They get really, they can be really mean to their bodies. Right. Yeah. And it's just it's, uh, it's kind of having that whole conversation and, you know, how, how that can impact pain and how that can impact recovery and stuff. It's it's a shift for some. And but, you know, as long as you're having it openly, non-judgmentally, and, you know, it's not just a one and done thing. Right. This is a process. And yeah. I think the shift is happening. You know, I, yeah. there's good and bad things about social media. But I think one of yeah. the greatest things I'm seeing is people putting things out there, letting people know that they're not alone. And there's so, I mean, there's so many good physical therapists on social media. Like I can't even keep up. (laughs) And I think it's really, yeah. And the younger generation now, you know, people are exposed to rehab at an earlier age. We are exposed to eating healthier. We Mm -hmm. are exposed to lifestyle choices Whereas, you know, I can usually guarantee most of my patients over the age of like 35 or 40 are less inclined to go out and find those resolutions on their own. You know, and I I hate that it's an age and generational thing because I'm talking in terms of extremes, but generally speaking, I can pretty much make that cutoff at 35 to 40 years of age where if I get a new patient under that age, they're coming to me and they've had their symptoms maybe for a couple weeks, maybe even a couple days. Mm-hmm. Patients who are 35 plus, they're coming to me with like a six-year-old problem. Yeah, <laughs> Sometimes far yeah. worse. And yeah. I can, it, it's just wild to me. And I, yeah. I I think it's something I'm looking forward to in the future since I have so many years left. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm seeing high school students who are learning about so many incredible things when it comes to health as a student, yeah. uh, you know, I, I can give them four exercises and just verbalize them. And they're like, oh yeah, I know how to do those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, (laughs) I mean, like you said, social media, technology in general and the internet has really empowered people to, um, I think, seek information for themselves and learn from it too. And and I think that's, that's kind of an, that's a kind of a talk I'll be doing soon. Actually, among the physios here in this area is kind of empowering the patient provider relationship and rapport, I should say, and how I'm seeing more and more of that, which is great Mm -hmm. (laughs) in this day and age. And I think with everything we've been through, um, too, with the pandemic and like, you know, the political climate and stuff, I think people just really want to take care of themselves. Like they really just want to take control again. So hopefully we can, we can help them do that. Right. Yeah, I hope so. It's encouraging too. You're right. I think there has been a big shift with COVID where people are realizing their health is at the forefront. And if Mm -hmm. they're not in charge of it, who else is going to be? And I think the future is bright there. I think it's really good. Yeah. So people like yourself, I think, strengthen that and amplify that. And that's a good thing rather than just having this authoritative type, you know, therapeutic rapport all the time. And, uh, 
you know, I mean, healthcare providers ourselves, we could, we tend to put ourselves last. So you said something pretty important there <laughs> among people over the age of 35, 40. Um, but I was going to add to that healthcare providers as well. <laughs> yeah, um, it's so true. Yeah. And, it, and people I've interviewed over the years, I know you've been doing your podcast since 19, 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, me too. You know, many have said that, you know, self-care is usually, and I, and I use that term loosely, self-care, mm-hmm. but, you know, just for simplicity's sake. Um, that healthcare providers have the hardest time with that, like when yeah. it comes when it comes to our own well being. Um, so I understand that you also talk on on work life balance and and things of that nature. So do you have any tips for providers who you know who also may be struggling right now um, with burnout, with fatigue, um, exhaustion, any of those things to yeah to kind of keep themselves you know, motivated and inspired? Yeah, I think, I think you really have to sit down with yourself and reflect and try to find something that you maybe don't want to admit to yourself. So for me, when I graduated and got my first job, I allowed myself to be abused by healthcare. Mm -hmm. I was putting in 50, 60 hour weeks, like it was nothing. And I was okay with the fact that I didn't have a social life. And it wasn't until like about two years in my um, boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, <laughs> he he kind of sat me down and he was like, you realize we don't see each other, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was in that moment, I was like, wow, something needs to change and it needs to change fast. You know, there it's great that you can go to work 7.30 to 7.30 every day and help so many people. But if you're not presenting the best version of yourself in practice, you're doing your patients a disservice. Mm-hmm. And that that could mean, you know, you go to work tired and you don't give them your all. It could mean you go to work and you have um, mental health issues that are at the forefront of your brain. That's going to prevent you from giving your patients your all. It could be um, a toxic relationship that you're in. It could be family, romantic, a friendship. If that is in you, it's going to reflect outwardly as you care for other people. And uh, that became really important to me. So I decided to make a change. And um, I went from 50 to 60 hours a week, dropped down to 32 to 35 hours a week, which was a huge change. That is big. Uh, (laughs) Yep. And then I had my daughter and decided to drop even further. So I switched to doing three tens, which was like a very beautiful balance for me. Um, Three 10 hour shifts. And so I think it's important to try a variety of ideas and find the one that sticks with you. You know, I was a workaholic. So if you would have told me five years ago that working three full days a week was it, I would have laughed. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I would never have thought that that could be rewarding. Um, yeah. But life changes. So if you if you strap yourself to the same schedule and the same routine for years and years and years, you're going to be missing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you find that you don't truly have the time for the things that you love, maybe find one change that you can make. Mm-hmm. For me... I just need volleyball. Okay, (laughs) love that. (laughs) Like I I knew that like the number one hobby, the number one non-work related thing, because I love work, the only other thing that I loved was volleyball. Mm. So I would work whatever hours, I would spend time with my family and friends, but I knew that if volleyball wasn't a part of my week or a part of my month, that that would directly affect my moods and my, my sleep and my relationships. And so I encourage people find that one thing that you need. It could be watching football on Sundays. It could be as simple as that. And if you have that one thing per week or per month, 
that will get you through the rest of the the time that you're at work and help prevent burnout. It'll give you better quality of life. And again, as much as it helps you, it's going to help your patients. They they know who goes to work upset. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I totally agree. They sense it, right? They they do, and especially if you're a provider like us who spends more than one visit a year with their patients, you know they don't really want to hang out with you for you know ten visits a year or whatever it is. If you are grumpy or if you're not pleasant to be around, you could be the best clinician in the world, but they're not going to want to spend that time with you. They're going to find someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Like I I was telling, um, I forgot who I was telling, a child life specialist. Um, I had done a discussion with them and we were chatting about, yeah, like about demeanor and, you know, they work with a lot of physicians and stuff and and every physician's different, right? With their demeanor and things like that. And and I I was telling them a story about how... um, Someone has said to me, and I think I've said it on this podcast as well, uh, where they would say, you know, Jen, I don't care if, you know, the doctor is nice or not, you know, I just want them to know what they're doing. And and I don't, and I thought to myself, why do we have to compromise on one or the other? Like, why does the doctor have to be like super confident and amazing doctor, but can't be a nice, you know, person or compassionate Uh person? I don't know why it has to be one or the other. Why can't it be both? Um, And I, and I think, you know, it is both for the most, for the most part, but I I find it's like, you know, when push comes to shove, we have to choose. And uh, I don't know. I I don't think it has to be that way. That's just myself. I agree. I agree. And I think COVID made a change there too, where even, even outside of healthcare, we're not really trying to waste our time with people who make us feel inferior or people who are rude to us. I mean, we've kind of we kind of have like a no BS policy now. I, I really, yeah. <laughs> like I, I really think so. And you know, a lot of the times we're not really dealing with some of the things we maybe would have let slide years ago. And life is short. And you know, even when it comes to things outside healthcare, I don't want a CPA who's mean to me. Right. I mean, it's great that they know what they're doing, but even if I only talk with them once or twice a year, I would rather know that my CPA is a good person. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. And I mean, as simple as that. Yeah, exactly. And we appreciate our time so much more now, right? And 100%. Those inter- yeah. I think those interactions are so meaningful. So Rebecca, so tell me, so you were inspired by a couple of practitioners along the way, um, leading to your career where you're at right now. How do you hope to inspire other, you know, future providers, people who are considering getting into the field, maybe even your patients? What about you? Do you think inspires? um, Yeah. So if I had to like determine my legacy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. um, How do you touch people's lives? Yeah. So I'll start with my goal for students and future providers. Um, That's really my biggest desire with my podcast that I created. There's There's just so many young providers and even seasoned providers that have just a lot of questions about how to take what they do to the next level. And I, I again, just feel really blessed that I ended up at the VA hospital that I ended up at because I was immediately challenged instead of being, you know, in a comfortable position for 10 years and then deciding to challenge myself. I think it was kind of reversed Mm -hmm. where it might not have been the most comfortable thing at the time, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, being exposed to just such high energy and, um, just challenges right off the bat in practice, I was almost forced to learn things that I didn't learn in school. You know, I was thrown into some really delicate situations where, you know, one patient in particular that I'll never forget during my training, he walked in for just a simple routine visit for his low back. And we said, Hey, how are you? How are you doing today? And his exact verbiage was, 
I'm going to take a gun to the fourth floor to meet up with my primary care doc and shoot him in the head and see how much blood I can get on the walls. Oh my gosh. Like point blank, no emotion, said that out loud like it was nothing. Wow. I'm a, a student, <laughs> brand yeah. new to this hospital. And thank goodness he wasn't the patient I was treating that day. He was my, my supervisor was treating that one. <laughs> so I got wow. very lucky. I got very lucky there. <laughs> um, but it was, again, one example of many where I was able to watch a very well-educated provider handle one of the most difficult patient interactions I've ever seen. And I know that there are people out there who want to learn about how to do these things before they walk through their doors. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so important to talk to others. And I want to for, forever be that approachable person that students, docs, patients, anybody can approach and be like, hey, I'm struggling with this. Or, you know, this kind of patient came to my practice today and I didn't even, I didn't even know how to handle them. Mm -hmm. You know, how can I do better at the next visit? So I think just always being a an advocate for learning and an advocate for continual growth as a provider and never, never accepting complacency. Yeah. <laughs> that's my, that's my overall goal for students and healthcare providers. And then from a patient perspective and the practice that I'm building right now, it's all about inclusivity for me. I just, healthcare needs to be integrative and it, it doesn't mean that everyone has to be under the same roof. It just means that we need to put the patient's interests at heart and put them first and know where to send people, make sure that we are not only following what we want as a provider, but what the patient wants. I think we've, we've forgotten that three-legged stool of healthcare, right? The evidence-based model where one, you factor in evidence always, two, you factor in the provider expertise, and three, and perhaps the most important is you factor in the patient's desires. Mm -hmm. All three combined to truly give you the best evidence-based practice, the best cohesive practice for that patient. And I feel like it's really easy sometimes to only care about science, only care about the patient maybe, mm -hmm. only care about your ego and your expertise as a provider when in reality, we need to mix all of it in order to better serve people. So I want my practice to exemplify that. I want my practice to be a place that anyone feels like they can come to regardless of political background, uh, socioeconomic background, racial background, like literally anything. And I just, I'm really hoping to open the doors for musculoskeletal health here in Grand Rapids. And those would be my double legacies, I hope. <laughs> I love that. That sounds really awesome and super inspiring. And I think you've been doing it this whole time. And uh, now you're, you're just starting your own practice. And I think you'll just continue to grow that. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's so great having you on the podcast at this time. It's so, it's so awesome it. at this point in your career. So you'll have to come back. Yeah, whenever. <laughs> it's, always a, it's always a pleasure talking to you. So yeah. thank you so much for all you do for us. Likewise. Thank you so much. Is there any final words you'd like to share before you sign off? Actually, tell, tell us where we can connect with you. Where can people listen to The Better Doctor Project and yeah. um, get in touch with you? Yep. So our podcast is found on all platform streaming sites. So Apple Podcasts, Google, like literally anything. Um, it's mm -hmm. called Better Doctor Project. You can also find us on Instagram at Better Doctor Project. And our website is betterdoctorproject.com. We put out episodes a couple times a month on a whole variety of topics. Uh, we try to talk about things that we just don't learn about in school. We try to make sure we're educating each other as providers and you never know what an ENT can teach a um, geriatric specialist, right? Like I find the most random specialties I can. And my goal <laughs> is just for all of us to learn from each other and just be that much better for our patients. 
I love that so much. That just so deeply aligns with me. Thank you so much for being here, Rebecca. It's always a pleasure. Thank you again. Thank you. So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward, and I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes, and you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jennifergeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support.